welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. All right, well, we are in the midst of a series called Theology to Live By. And uh, we started this series um, last week. And uh, Tone actually preached the first part of the series, and he spoke about process. Um, Process versus events. Okay, when we're talking about a theology, by the way, I guess we're talking about, you know, just the study of God and religious truth. And we're talking today not about some of the the deeper truths that people tend to think of when they think about theology. Uh, Many of you have, you know, perhaps been to Kurong or you've, you've seen someone's bookshelf and there's books on theology and they're usually really thick. And they usually, you know, if you open them up and leaf through them, there's a lot of words in there you don't understand. And, you know, theology for some is, you know, it's certainly about the, the collation of ideas and topics and subjects uh, into, into sort of some sort of order. And it's about studying things in depth. And, and it could be, you know, about the person of God or the, the attributes of Christ or, you know, who we are as people. Or maybe it's about when Jesus is going to come back or about heaven and hell, all those sorts of things. And they're all very, very interesting and they can be very deep, and there's a whole bunch of questions that sort of arise around those sort of things. But that's not what we're talking about here today. Okay, what we are talking about is a theology to live by, because you can have questions. This is really awesome. Because we're in a relationship with Jesus Christ as a Christian, you can have questions that you may never get the answer to in this life, but you can still live well. You can still honour God with your life. And so we're about that here in this church. You know, you may not hear from this pulpit all of the answers you ever want to hear about some of the questions pertaining to heaven and hell, angels and demons, and all of those sorts of things. We'll address those things at certain times, I'm sure. But at the end of the day, our main concern as pastors in this church is that we would help you to live well, to live in a way that honours God, in a way that benefits our society, in in a way that that, that inspires hope and faith in those that look on. And so last week, we began by looking at this topic of process, and we looked at the fact that you know, life is about process. Many of us have an events mentality. You know, it's, and if we just look at events in isolation, you know, we can be very encouraged or we can be very discouraged. But we need to always remember that irrespective of how good or bad a single event in our life might be, that at the end of the day, it's just one in a whole chain of processes. And God is using those processes to develop us and to make us more into the image of Christ and to take us into the plans and purposes that he has for us. So that was last Sunday morning. Last Sunday night, we looked at theology of obedience. And we looked at uh, the, um, the life of Gideon, just uh, uh, sort of had a quick peek into his life and one of the situations that he faced. And we, we looked at the fact that, you know, it's good to obey God because it pleases God. It's good to obey God because it's, it's an act of worship, ultimately. And it's good to obey God because when we obey God, it's powerful. If we look at the life of Gideon, there was a whole bunch that he had going against him. You know, in Christian circles these days, it's very important, you know, to have a strong and a right confession. It's very important to know your position in Christ. It's very important not to be negative. It's very important to be a person that's glass half full rather than half empty and all that sort of stuff. Gideon was none of that. Okay, he had a whole bunch of doubt going on. He was very insecure. He was a whole bunch of things. But at the end of the day, his obedience sort of trumped all of those. And he ended up pleasing God through his life. And I think that we need to take our eyes off sometimes of what we don't have and what we can't do and just get on and do it and allow God to do the rest. All right, so that's where we're up to thus far. Now we're up to part three. And this morning, by way of theology to live by, I want to have a look at the subject of dependence. Dependence. Dependence is simply about being reliant on someone or something. Okay, dependence um, is similar to words like trust, 
faith, reliance. And so the question I want to start with this morning is, who or what are you dependent on or upon? If you're a young person, you might feel very dependent upon your parents. If you're an older person, you might feel dependent upon your job. If you're an alcoholic, you might feel very dependent upon alcohol. If you're sick, you might feel very dependent upon your doctor or upon the medicine or the treatment that they're giving you. If you're very self-assured here today, you might say, I'm not dependent upon anyone. And what you're really saying is, well, I'm depending upon myself. The reality is that we cannot live independently. We are all dependent. We can't avoid it. Even those fiercely independent individuals that you know, want to think that, 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 that life is all about them, and maybe they do it by way of climbing to the top of the corporate ladder and having heaps of money and, and thinking just they're going to do what they want to do. Or maybe it's the type of people that, that um, you know, go out into the country and buy a bit of land and plant all their own veggies and fruit trees and all that sort of stuff, and they say, I'm going to be self-sufficient and dependent. At the end of the day, they're not. They are dependent upon the rest of us allowing them to do that. They can only maintain their privacy by virtue of the fact that we allow them to do so. And you look at some, you know, things can change very, very rapidly in the world around about us. And some people think that they are very independent, they're not reliant upon anyone, until there's a change of government, or until someone breaks into their house, or until, until, until. So we are dependent upon people for our sense of well-being, our security, etc. Now the next thing I want to just briefly mention is that not all levels of dependence are equal. There are different levels of dependence that we have in our life, and they're not all equal. For example, if you just want to be... Um, entertained for half an hour, there's a whole bunch of things you could depend upon to do that. Yeah? If you struggle to get up in the morning, you might be dependent upon a coffee first thing to wake you up a little bit. If you're starting out in a business venture, you might depend upon some books or some people that you know or some seminars, people conducting seminars, to give you good advice but you can't depend upon them to make you successful. If you're battling a life-threatening illness, you might want to find a dependable doctor, someone who's reliable, trustworthy, and is going to do their best, but you can't depend upon them to heal you. You see, the bigger the issue in our lives, the fewer dependable options there are to give us what we really need. You know, if you're talking about, I want to be entertained, what can I depend on? You can depend on the TV, you can depend on Xbox, you can depend on some mates dropping over. There's a whole bunch of things you can depend on to keep you entertained for half an hour. When it comes down to life-threatening illness, you can't just depend on anyone or anything for that matter. Okay, so the more serious the issue, the more it narrows down in terms of what we can actually depend on to address that issue. If we're talking about meaning and purpose... People depend on a whole lot of things to try and work that out in their lives. But the reality is, you can become the world's best at whatever you put your mind to. You might be the world's best at a particular sport. You might be the world's best in a particular profession. You might be the world's richest. But at the end of the day, you cannot depend upon those things to give you meaning in life and a sense of purpose and assurance. Because those things in and of themselves don't give that. They are just... Um, isolated activities, if you like. You need to attach them to something bigger in order to bring meaning. You can be um, a street sweeper and attach your life to something meaningful and have a meaningful life. 
You can be the richest, most famous, cleverest person in the world and you can lack meaning and direction in your life. When it comes to things like acceptance or significance or satisfaction, you know, many people are depending on things like, I'll have those things when I get married. Or I'll have those things when I have children. But the reality is we cannot depend upon just having a wife or a husband or upon having children to give us a sense of significance, to give us the sense of acceptance that we want or bring the satisfaction into our lives. Otherwise, if we could, the divorce rate would not be what it is. And all the married people you know would be the happiest people in the world. Now, I think marriage is awesome and I love being a dad. But I also many, many, know many, many people who it's not so awesome and they don't love it so much. Because you can't, if you don't have these issues of acceptance and significance and satisfaction sorted out first, you can't just bring things in and expect, it's too much to put onto another person, to enable one person or even a group of people to give you all those things. We were never intended to. What about security? You know, you can, um, you can build bigger fences, put up bigger walls, you can bar your windows and doors and you can have lots of locks and security systems and all that sort of stuff, but... If you're dependent upon those things for your security in life, there's a good chance that you're going to be disappointed. You can sit behind all that stuff at night and you can still be afraid. So the bigger our issue, the fewer dependable options there are to give us what we really need. The Bible says this in the very first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that's not a very big statement at one level, but it's a massive statement if you take time to think about it. What is implied right there is that we are dependent upon God for our very existence. If you will read a little bit further, you'll discover that not only are we dependent upon God for our existence, but his intention is that we be ongoingly dependent upon him for our survival and our well-being. If you read on, you'll, continue, you'll see that not only did God intend us to be dependent upon him, but as he creates humankind, he, depend, he intends that we be interdependent upon one another. We cannot live independently of those around about us. We're not intended to. We see that God created Adam, and then he says, it's not good that Adam be alone. I'll create a helper. He creates Eve, and then he creates family, then he creates community, society, and so on and so forth. And we see that when people try to live independently of one another, things get very, very ugly very quickly. We need one another. When Adam and Eve chose to disobey God at the beginning, they chose at that moment to be independent. And independent is simply to be self-governing. It's to be unwilling to be under the obligation of or reliant upon others. We don't want to owe anyone anything. We want to set our own course. We want to do our own thing. And essentially, that was the bait that Satan used to lure Adam and Eve and humankind, ultimately, out of the protection of God's, out of God's protection and into this deception of independence. Because we know that they didn't really become independent at all. They just changed their Lord to someone who didn't care about them so much as God did. And that's been an issue for us ever since, to be honest. We struggle to submit to God. At our very core, we struggle to submit to God and we struggle to get along with each other. We see that in less, 
in more, you know, quicker than it takes to, to bat an eyelid, if you're reading the Bible, we see that they go from disobedience and eating some food to one man killing his brother. We struggle to get along. In trying to set our own course independent of God, we've lurched from one social disaster to another. History is proof of the fact that we cannot depend upon ourselves. Our own instincts, our own wisdom, our own strength, our own concept of goodness are not enough to enable us to live in the good, pleasing and perfect will that God intended from the beginning. The reality is we just don't do well apart from God, individually, as a family or as a society, as a whole planet, a whole race. The stronger we become, the more people suffer. We've just been through the most bloodthirsty century that's ever been, and this one could well be worse because of the strength that we have, the technology we have, the arms, the weapons we have at our disposal. It hasn't made us more caring of the weak and more able to support the weak. It's unleashed all manner of carnage. The more licentious we become, the more we throw off the restraints the more our society fragments, the weaker families become, the more the innocent suffer. The greater the technology we develop, the greater ultimately our vulnerability. I mean, we saw New York just not too long ago. I mean, a technological masterpiece in so many ways, and yet throw out the power, chuck a bit of water in, and it's suddenly we are scrambling. Imagine that happening on a large scale across the world. We are more fragile, more vulnerable, than we ever choose to really think about. And yet we think, probably more than ever in history, that we're in control of our own destinies. It's absolutely crazy. The reality is only the God of the Bible can be depended on for some of the things I mentioned before. You can't depend on bars and locks and all those things to bring an ultimate sense of security. That's got to be found in God. For our salvation, again, we messed up with God. We've offended God. God has to be at the center of our coming back to him. We're dependent upon God for salvation. We're dependent upon the God who created us with an intention in mind to discover and fulfill our purpose. If we're not here by God's design, what are we here for? It, it becomes ultimately meaningless. And again, we see people throwing God out of the picture and we see all sorts of carnage and horrible stuff going on. Like we saw yesterday in America. You know, we take God out of schools. We tell people, that, you know, there's no purpose, there's no meaning for you, and therefore for anyone else. And then we get surprised and offended when people just do what they want to do because it feels good. We, you know, foist violence on videos and movies and games. And then we're surprised when people begin to outwork violent behavior. Purpose, mention that, direction. Again, there's no wiser mind in the universe to direct our course and our affairs. We are dependent upon God. Again, left to our own devices, let's just open our eyes, folks, and look. We don't do well. And satisfaction. You know, we were created at the very beginning for relationship with God. Psalm 4, I was just reading this morning, Psalm 4, verse 7, it says, You have filled my heart with greater joy than where their grain and their wine abound. In other words, when all the things that they have, all the things that they're filling themselves with, all the things they're looking to for enjoyment, God, you bring more joy to me than that. Satisfaction is only found in God. 
ultimately, if you're not satisfied in God, it's a big ask to expect your husband or your wife or your children or your work or your friends to be able to satisfy you. In this current age, the providence of God, in other words, God's just, his generosity, his provision that flows out of his, his good nature, it flows out and touches each of us. Whether we acknowledge God today or not, you know, the Bible talks about the fact the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. Okay, so whether people are wicked or whether they're good, they still get the benefit of sunshine. They still get the privilege of rain. They still get their, you know, their food on the table and drive nice cars and all that. So that's just part of providence, the age in which we live. I think the challenge for us as Christians is to be mindful of that and not allow ourselves to become complacent and forget that we're dependent. Because to be often, how to be honest, how often do we really worry about what we're going to eat? Or worry about where we're going to live? You know, the reality is we don't worry about it too much, and the person who doesn't know God doesn't worry about it too much because we live in, a, in an age of grace, really. When we're getting what we don't deserve across the board. And so I think, and what I want to talk about this morning is that as Christians, as believers, we need to embrace the challenge to live, at, live dependently at a greater level or a deeper level. And at the same time as we are wanting to be dependent upon God, not to throw our brain out and do silly stuff and, and neglect the responsibilities that God has given us. So in other words, what we're called to do is we're called to recognise that we are absolutely and utterly 100% dependent upon God for everything we are, everything we have, ultimately everything do, everything we will ever receive in life and beyond in terms of this world. So we need to keep that intention with the fact he still calls us to do stuff. He calls, still calls us as believers to take responsibility. So for example, I could say, well, God is my source and my supply. I am going to depend on him to meet all of my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. He is my provider. He is my protector. He is my healer. And the way I'm going to work that out is to go and give notice at work and I'm going to live by faith. Now, that's one way of responding to this truth that we are dependent upon God. But to do that, we would have to violate some of what the Bible talks about in terms of our responsibilities. If we go to uh, 1 Thessalonians, for example, chapter 4, verse 12, it says we, don't work, uh, we should work so that we're not dependent upon others, so we're not becoming a burden to others. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 is even more blunt. It just says basically, don't work, don't eat. Again, assuming that you're capable of working. And so we need to walk in this tension of you know, recognising that we are dependent upon God but at the same time, recognise that we're not called to be, to be silly either, that he's given us responsibilities to walk in. You know, things like financial wisdom and good business principles and all of these things are not made obsolete just because we've decided to follow Jesus. That makes sense. And again, I know most of us aren't living in this realm, but we, pro- we possibly know people who have, who have kind of gone overboard in terms of dependent and, and, and actually, rather than bring honour to God, have been brought, brought dishonour to God. Because they've, they've not lived in a manner that's consistent with what the Word of God says. But they're calling it dependence. I mean, there may be a time, for example, when it comes to work, that we might not, because of our faith, and certainly to, right today across the world, <clears throat> there are people who cannot work and are treated as second-class citizens, if not in prison, for their faith. 
So their dependence is, you know, in not being able to work is, is forced upon them. And God will provide. God will, will help. But that's not about just putting ourselves out there and being silly, all right? Got that? So what I want to look at now is just four things quickly in, in, uh, that we can apply practically this idea of dependence. How can we demonstrate godly dependence? What does godly dependence look like in action? And I've just got four things I want to quickly mention here. The first thing, um, acknowledge God in all your ways. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Scriptures I'm sure you're all familiar with, or many would be. It says, trust in the Lord. Trust, rely, depend, all means the same thing, remember. With all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. And so what I'm talking about here is just, let's just acknowledge God as the one who does supply. He is the source of our supply ultimately. Yes, I go to work. Yes, you go to work. Yes, you get a pay packet. Yes, you go and pay for the food that you take off the shelf. And yes, someone prior to that, you know, in a factory, put it in a box. And yes, someone prior to that on a farm, maybe, you know, harvested, etc. But at the end of the day, if we take it all back, if God had not put us on a planet that had six inches of dirt on top of it and then given us rain, we wouldn't be buying anything to eat. That's the bottom line. And I think we just, it does us good to remember that. And I think one of the ways that we can acknowledge God in all of our ways is just to be thankful. When we pray, when we say grace, we're just saying, thanks, God. I acknowledge this is from you. When we bring our requests to God, maybe it's requests for provision, maybe it's requests for direction. It's saying, God, you're, you're the supplier. God, you're smarter. God, I'm reliant upon you. And I think that's one of the practical ways in that we can demonstrate this. When God has been good to us, again, I'm not saying get all religious and weird about it and use big, you know, confusing King James language when you're letting, telling people that God is good, but I think it's appropriate if you're a Christian businessman and God's been good to maybe at the end of the year the staff say, so so thank God for his goodness this year. He has really blessed our business. I don't think that's too weird and out there, but it's, it's acknowledging God in all of our ways. Because we're always... At his mercies. And as I said, you know, natural disasters just recently um, certainly make us aware of how fragile we are. I mean, what happened in New York, it could, it could happen here. Things happening around the world with people that are probably far less deserving in many ways than we are. And yet, lots of things are going horribly wrong around the world. So we need to be thankful for the peace that we have. We need to be thankful for the provision we have. We want to be thankful for the electricity we have. We want to be thankful for the friends and the support that we have as Christians. We want to be thankful that we're not being chased from pillar to post or put in jail for our faith. There's so much that we can be thankful for. You know, one day a group of scientists got together and they decided that humanity had come a long way and no longer needed God. They picked one of the scientists to go and talk to God about that and tell him that they were done with him. The scientist approached God and said, God, we've decided that we no longer need you. We're to the point where we can clone people and do many things which used to be considered miraculous. So why don't you just pack up and leave? God listened very patiently and kindly to the man. And after he finished talking, God said, okay, how about this? Let's have a man-making competition. To which the scientist replied, great, okay. The scientist, uh, sorry, said, but God added... But we're going to do this the old school way, the way I did it with Adam. The scientist said, sure, no problem, bends down, 
picks up a handful of dirt, and God says, sorry, buddy, get your own dirt. We are absolutely and utterly dependent upon God. All of us, not just Christians. Not just Christians, Muslims and Jews. Not just Christians, Muslims, Jews, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses. Not just Christians, etc., etc. All of us. Whether we believe in God or not, it does not change his existence. You know, the Bible says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We don't start to get smart until we acknowledge that we are totally and utterly dependent upon God. In fact, Psalm 14 verse 1 is even a little bit ruder than that. It says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. If you're, a Christian, if you're not a Christian here this morning, if you're a person who does not believe in God, the Bible says that that's being very, very foolish. It doesn't mean you're an idiot. It just means that you haven't yet examined things as you ought to. Because the existence of God is self-evident for those who would care to take the time to look. It's not really a debate between creation and evolution. If you look into that, if you, if you want to look into does God exist or does not God not exist, based on a rational argument, on a scientific premise, you will find that creation, science, the evidence, the argument for design, etc., is holding all of the aces. Evolution comes up dead in the water every possible time because you need a first cause. If you go back, it doesn't matter how far you go back, if you don't have a first cause, and science has never ever suggested what that first cause could be, even though they talk in terms of a big bang, what, you've got nothing? And how can nothing explode? And how can nothing become something? And how can nothing that becomes something ultimately become life? It is, it is impossible. It has never been proved. The only solution is to go beyond our natural understanding and say, okay, at the beginning of natural material was a supernatural cause. That is totally logical. It is totally consistent. It is totally rational. It is not just a, a stupid faith statement made by wacky Christians who, who don't have a brain and don't want to think. Okay, so I want to challenge you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. You can test me on that. You can go away and do your homework. All right? Okay, secondly, so we're talking about dependence upon God. We're talking about acknowledging him in all of our ways. But also, I think one of the ways that we show our dependence upon God is just by being generous with what God provides. Paul says this to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to 19. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world, and that's all of us in this room, we are rich by world standards, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything, get this, for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will, store up, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. In other words, those who are dependent upon God should be and can afford to be generous right now. Because we know that ultimately all that we have comes from God. We know that ultimately all that we have is, is his and we are stewarding it. We are, he is watching to see how, how well we do with his property. 
And we know that if we get rid of something, he'll give us something else. Because the Bible talks about that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to test him. He wants us to be so generous and just see that he can be more generous than we can be generous. And that ultimately people can give praise to God because of our generosity as believers. The person who doesn't depend on God or know God or believe in God, or perhaps might even be a Christian but isn't depending upon God, doesn't have that ability or that desire to be generous. Because in the back of their mind they're thinking, but if I give this away now, what will happen tomorrow? But Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Now I'm not saying as Christians, you know, we shouldn't plan for the future and we shouldn't, you know, get a mortgage or we shouldn't have insurance or all that sort of stuff. I'm not saying at that level, but I'm just saying some of us are so tight-fisted, we are so stingy, we are so worried about the future. It's as if the future depends on us, and so we hold on to everything so tightly. And it's not demonstrating any dependence upon God. You know, our future is not dependent upon our ability to invest. Our, in- our future is not dependent upon our ability to insure ourselves. Our, ability, or our future is not dependent upon how much superannuation we have. The fact is, if you don't tithe and if you don't offer, you will have more money to insure yourself with. You will have a bigger superannuation payout at the end, all things being equal. And you'll possibly leave a bigger inheritance to your kids. And you might miss the grace of God. You might miss daily interaction with God. You might miss the provision of God. It's in giving, as we come and we tithe, that we see God is faithful as he enables us to do more with our 90% or our 85% or however generous we choose to be than we could have done with our 100%. I challenge us to be dependent, not to be like the rich fool that Jesus spoke about in Luke chapter 12. He looked back, things were going well, and he didn't think about, hey, maybe I'm making so much profit, maybe I could be a blessing into my community. Maybe I could help people. But he thought, no, I've earned this, I deserve this. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to make it all about me. I'm going to sit back, put my feet up, be comfortable. And God said, you fall. This night, your life will be demanded of you. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be that guy standing in those shoes, having had that opportunity to bless and yet been stingy with that, and then be standing before God that very night, having made that decision. So dependence is demonstrated in generosity. Thirdly, when in doubt, defer to God's wisdom. When we defer to God's wisdom, according to worldly, uh, instead of worldly wisdom, we're demonstrating dependence upon God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. There are some, you know, we can make some assumptions we can put into place some processes. We can come up with some scenarios and, and ultimately come up with hypotheses and all these sort of things about you know, how we should do life based on just pure observation. And some of those things will line up with what the Word of God says, but many won't. Now, the trouble is, I guess we live in a world where, you know, because of the goodness of God and the way that we are called to live as Christians, it's self-evident that it's good. Many people adopt some of that stuff, but then there's other stuff that they don't adopt. And so we get drawn away if we're not careful. We don't know the word of God. 
and we're not willing to submit to the word of God, we end up living according to hollow human traditions and principles and philosophies. Think about it. You know, there are many trends in our world today that contradict what God is calling us to as believers. Think about parenting. What does the Bible say about parenting? It says lots of things, doesn't it? It talks about bringing up your child in the way they should go. When they're older, they won't turn from it. it talks about you know, introducing them to God. It talks about teaching them what God says is right and wrong. It talks about sparing the rod, spoiling the child, discipline, all of those sort of things it talks about. That's what the Bible says. We have an opportunity to depend on that. Even though at times it's awkward, it's difficult. You know, we see our cute little darlings doing the wrong thing and we don't have to step in and be the bad guy. But the Bible says do it, otherwise you're ruining them. But the world doesn't say that today. Worldly wisdom is be their friend. Counsel them. Let them do what they want. You don't want to stunt their potential and their growth. You don't want to damage their self-esteem. I know what, even in schools, we won't have anything such thing as competition because that doesn't happen in the real world. You know what I'm saying? There's a whole bunch of worldly wisdom out there that is just utterly useless. It doesn't, it doesn't work in practice. It sounds good for a few years until we begin to see what comes out the other end. And I think what we saw yesterday in America is an example of what comes out the other end. Marriage. The Bible talks about husbands being head of the home. It's not very popular today to talk about that. You know, some people get most offended when they hear wedding vows that talk about husbands honouring their wives and wives obeying their husbands. But that's what the Bible says. It says we need a leader in the home. It talks about, it's not a cop-out for men to abuse their wives. It's saying, men, you love your wife as Christ loved the church. It's an all-in thing. It's a sacrificial thing. And I think any woman that's receiving that sort of love will be happy to submit herself to a husband's wisdom and leadership you know, when, when a tie-break decision is required, because most things in marriage are self-evident. It's not about just running around, so I'm the boss, do what I say, I'm the boss, do what I say. No, it's like sometimes it's not obvious what to do next, and a call needs to be made. I remember when we, we were talking, do we move Ashari to, um, to King's Baptist, or do we leave her at Good Shepherd? And we, sorry, do we leave her at King's, or we bring her to Good Shepherd? And at that time, we'd been praying for an extra hour in our day. It's a dumb prayer, but you know, God answered it by... Um, because you know, we're not actually going to get an extra hour in our day, you know that? <laughs> okay, if we did, we'd only feel it. But what happened was, was almost a very short time of praying that, God, we need more time. Um, an opening became available at Good Shepherd, which is right next door to our house. And so straight away, Sally Ann saved an hour, which was awesome. It was the, obvious, the way was obvious. God had spoken. Until Washari gets to the school and starts to miss her friends. And at that point, Sally Ann, maternal precious person that she is begins to feel deeply for Ashari and her friends and her friends missing her and she's oh maybe we made the wrong decision maybe we should put her back in king I said no we've made the decision that's it as a man as, a, as someone who is less led by my emotions I was just able to make the call we'd make the call and it, it was one of the best decisions we made and then ultimately Ashari went back to king's connected with all her friends and it was a happy ending alright <laughs> <laughs> business there are so many worldly philosophies and methods and means to make money and get rich quick. But at the end of the day, if you don't apply godly principles of integrity, honesty, honouring people, providing good service and value and all those sorts of things, you'll get poor just as quick as you'll get rich. 
Because you don't build a reputation, you don't build something that lasts by ripping people off left, right and centre, just that you might get rich. In society, again, we can, we can reject God's ways and we can say we're individuals, you know, who are you to say what I could or shouldn't do, you know, you live in a nanny state, we don't, you know, all that sort of stuff. Or we can say, no, actually, we, we need to look around, we need to be real about this. You know, the Bible talks about individual responsibility. The Bible talks about the fact that we are interdependent. The Bible talks about accountability for our actions. Therefore, in our society, those things need to be respected. Those things need to be displayed and seen in our society. There needs to be punishment for, for wrongdoing. There needs to be reward for right doing. And so on and so forth. Okay? We, there's, there's so many examples I could use whereby we are challenged as believers to, you know, we get seduced down a path that sounds right and feels good. It often feels easier to do the wrong thing in the first instance than it does to do the right thing. The right thing can be challenging. The right thing can be hard in the first instance. But it's as we begin to see the thing reap fruit that we see, ah, right, get it, God. But the wrong thing usually in the short term is easier. It's easier not to discipline your kids. It's easier not to hold people accountable for their actions. It's easier to blame you know, some of the problems in our society on this disease or that disease and they're not responsible and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's, it's easier to do that in the short term, but in the long term, we pay a big price. Matthew, uh, Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Therefore anyone or everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had, a, it had its foundation on the rock. I'll leave you to think about that for the sake of time. Fourthly, we've talked about acknowledging God in all our ways. We've talked about being generous with what God's given us. We've talked about, if in doubt, go with God's wisdom. And finally, to demonstrate our dependence upon God is this. Be good, but don't think it saves you. Be good, yes, but don't think it saves you. If you're a Christian, all things being equal, you are going to be a better person today than you were yesterday. And certainly than six months ago or a year ago when you first became a Christian. Because God is at work in your life. He's surrounding you with other people who are showing you how to live and holding you accountable. and all that. You're reading the word of God and the Holy Spirit is working in you. And day by day, little bit by little bit, sometimes faster, sometimes slower, but we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. We are becoming better people. The danger is that one day we might look at ourselves in the mirror and say, you're doing all right. Do you really need Jesus? Would you really go to hell if Jesus didn't die for you? Yep. Absolutely. Every one of us. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. It goes on and talks about the fact actually we bring ourselves under a curse if we try and live by observing the law. Because if you don't do the whole bunch of the law, you get the curse of the law comes into your life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it's it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. This doesn't come from ourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not by works so that we can't boast. And then it goes on and says, but there is good works that God's prepared in advance for us to do. And so we're all called to be good. We're all called to do things for God. And those things are a response, a right response to a holy God and a gracious God who has saved us. But they don't save us. We're always 
always have been, always will be, dependent upon Christ for our salvation. In concluding, we're all dependent upon God, absolutely and utterly dependent upon God at every level in life. Some people just don't know it yet. And it's not in this particular grace period in which we live altogether obvious for some. So our challenge is to recognise what they're doing and not whinge and complain and not say, oh God, how come that, how come that? But just know, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to demonstrate our dependence on God. We're going to acknowledge God in all of our ways. We're going to choose to be generous with what God has given us. When in doubt, when it's tough, when I don't know what to do, I'm not going to listen to the psychologists or the counsellors or Dr. Phil or Oprah or anyone else or my university lecturers unless they agree with what God's saying. And be good. But remember, it doesn't save you. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.